I'm just going to be talking for a little while on Don't Miss the Miracle. If you can, turn in your Bibles, and we're going to, I'll, I'll um, you know, have you stay seated because um, we're going to be reading uh, just quite a few verses. It's a very, very popular, very common um, passage of Scripture, um, but there's a few things that I think that we can learn from it here tonight. And so if you could turn to Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there um, his substance (laughs) with um, riotous living. Sorry, I'm trying to read off that back screen. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would... And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. And I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. Now his elder son was in the field And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry, and he would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might take Mary with, make merry with my friends. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. So we've heard many times, I'm sure, the story of the prodigal son. It's a very beautiful parable that Jesus gives to us. Um, and, and the reason I, I didn't have it here is because I have it in uh, the message. And so I just want to read just a couple, just a small portion of that 
But it says, then he said, there was once a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, father, I want right now what's coming to me. So the father divided the property between them. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. After he had gone through all his money, there was a bad famine all through that country, and he began to hurt. Um, So I just thought that that was an interesting uh, translation there. But I want us to just tonight take a look at a few things that we can learn from this. So the prodigal son, we see um, that kind of on his descent, he took four steps downward. The first one is that he was selfish. It says, I want, I want right now. Now, according to the Jewish law, an elder son received twice as much as the other sons. And a father could distribute his wealth during his lifetime if he wished. It was perfectly legal for the younger son to ask for his share of the estate and even to sell it. But it certainly was not the loving thing to do. Even though, you know, there's a lot of things out there that are legal, it doesn't necessarily make it right. And so it was as though he was saying to his father, I I wish you were already dead right? Saying, hey, give me my inheritance now. It's kind of like wishing that they were past. And so Luke 12 and 15 says, take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Why? Because the covetous person can never be satisfied. Right? If we give in to that, into our, our flesh, into wanting and, and getting what we want, there's no end to it, right? We just want more and more and more. And we see that, you know, with greed and with wealth and all of those things. And so no matter how much he or she acquires, a dissatisfied heart leads to a disappointed life. And so you'll never really enjoy the things that money can buy if you ignore the things that money cannot buy. So we can see, I mean, if any of you have ever uh, been in the situation of the prodigal son where maybe you've walked away or you've watched it happen, you see at first, um, you know, that first step is it becomes just about what I want, you know, me, me, me. And, and um, you know, I don't, I don't want to live by the standards anymore. I don't want to do this or I want to go here. I want to do that. Um, and so we take, he, the prodigal son here takes that first step downward into selfishness. And next is, that next step is being separated. It says he went to a distant country. And so although, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, maybe stop coming to church. Of course, that would definitely <laughs> be a a step in the wrong direction. But the far country is not necessarily a place in which we travel. It exists first and foremost as a place within our heart. Before sin is ever a deed against God, it is always first a distance from God. And we read that in Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2. 
It says, uh, I have a, a different version on here, but it says, listen, the Lord is not too weak to save you, and he is not becoming deaf. He can hear you when you call, but there is a problem. Your sins have cut you off from God. Because of your sin, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. What what a crazy thing to think, you know, where we, we know as children of God that he, he hears our prayers, but we know that the further that we go into sin, the further away we are from God. And so the prodigal son, after his selfishness, his want, his covetousness, um, he then became separated from his father. And so as... Um, you know, we, we live this life of, of sin and giving into these different things. We become further and further from God. And next is senseless. He, the scripture says he wasted everything. The word prodigal, and I actually had to really look this up because I was like kind of shocked about this. But the word prodigal actually means wasteful. Once the son got out from under the restraint of his father, he became reckless with his life, and he didn't see the consequences of something for nothing. Proverbs 20 and 21 says, An inheritance may be gotten hastily at the beginning, but the end thereof shall not be blessed. So how many times do we see um, you know, when someone falls out of the church or maybe it's our own testimony where, you know, become selfish, become uh, into a life of sin. And then maybe it's addiction um, that grips us. Maybe, uh, you know, all sorts of addictions, whether it's lust or, or drugs or alcohol or whatever the case may be, um, or just Again, being wasteful, spending your money on all of these things for, for vanity's sake or materialism or whatever the case may be. Um, but it, the Bible says that the prodigal son, he, he left in everything that he wanted. He squandered. The next step that he took downward was starving. It says, and he began to hurt. He began to want Life in the far country was not what he expected. And while he had money, he had friends, but when his resources were gone, so were they. He joined himself to a citizen who sent him to feed pigs, the lowest humiliation for a Jewish person. He was finally forced to do for a stranger what he would not do for his own father, and that was just work. This is what sin does. It promises freedom, but it only brings slavery. It promises success, but it only brings failure. It promises life, but the wages of sin is death. John 8, 34 through 36, and I have the message. It says, Jesus said, I tell you most solemnly that anyone who chooses a life of sin is trapped in a dead-end life, and is, in fact, a slave. A slave is a transient who can't come and go at will. The son, though, has an established position, the run of the house. So if the son sets you free, 
you are free through and through. And so we see here that he, the prodigal son reached that bottom point, right? He had fallen into sin. He'd lost everything, lost everything, was hungry, was starving, was taking uh, this position. But thankfully, he didn't stay there, right? He didn't die there. That wasn't the parable that Jesus gave. So he took some upward steps. And this is where we can really glean from because we can look and we can see, first of all, if you're there, if you're at your lowest point and you're trying to claw your way up, here's some things that you can do. But also it's the people around us, the visitors that, that come into the church the, where they're in this place of desperation where they've hit rock bottom and they just don't know where to go or who to turn to. We can learn from the prodigal son that we can take some upward steps. The first one is to realize, that, or as the scripture says, when he came to himself. The prodigal never would have come to the father if he had not first come to himself. The servants of his father, which are the lowest class in the entire house, were better off than he was. He was sitting there and probably in mud, right, with the pigs, and realized, like, I, I would have been better off as a servant in my father's house. And he thought he would find himself, but instead he actually lost himself. And for many months he had not been himself. And there is an, an insanity in sin that paralyzes the image of God within us. There's this point where we just get so engulfed in sin um, where we just can't see clearly, right? Um, but he had this moment of clarity where he realized that he had seen his father in the wrong light. In James 1 and 17, and I have the New Living Translation, it says, whatever is good and perfect comes to us from God above who created all heaven's lights. Unlike them, he never changes or casts shifting shadows. And so he had that that moment, as I'm sure, you know, a lot of us have had where we just we realize, okay, all right, we've messed up. <laughs> uh, we've gotten ourselves in over our heads or whatever the case may be, but that light bulb kind of goes off, and I'm so thankful for that moment um, where we do wake up and realize and that we we at least know where to turn. There are others that we are hoping to reach to give that same realization to, but we realize that we had seen Things wrong, And so the next step that he took was to repent. If the son had only thought about himself and his situation, he would have experienced regret and remorse, but not repentance. Repentance involves will, not just emotions. It says, I will arise. I will go. I will say. It's a change of mind. He left home with the words, give me my inheritance, but he returned with the words, make me a servant. He had experienced a complete change of attitude. Second Corinthians 7 and 10 says, for God can use sorrow in our lives to help us turn away from sin and seek salvation. We will never regret that kind of sorrow, but sorrow without repentance is the kind that results in death. 
And so we know, I mean, we know stories all throughout the Bible where God allows us to go through things. Sometimes, um, you know, we face sorrow, but in order to bring us to that point of repentance, to that point where we can change our lives around and turn our lives around, you know, there's, there's so much that God has to do in us, right? You know, whether it be teaching us patience or humility or whatever the lesson is, right? Because we're, we're flesh, we're human, we're every single day, we're dying to our flesh, we're crucifying our flesh, and we're going, and you know what? Sometimes, as Christians, we just let things go, right? Sometimes, as Christians, we're just going through the motions or, or whatnot, and so God throws a trial or a tribulation, or there's a sorrow that happens in our life to allow us. But the thing is, if we don't learn from it, the result is death, right? If we don't repent and we don't come out of it, then, th- then that's it. What, is, what else is there, right? And then he's stuck in a pig pen, right? Um, so it is God's goodness, not just our badness, which leads us to repentance. And the next one is return. When the son really changed his mind, he was willing to change his direction. Real repentance is the first step in a journey back to the father's house. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, for by grace are ye saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So he had to get up and he had to go back. And no doubt that was the hardest thing he's ever done in his life, right? To return back, to beg. He had, I mean, in the scripture, it says, I'm going to go back and I'm going to say this. I'm going to say, please, just let me be a servant. And when somebody who has known God and has turned away from God walks through those doors for the first time, no doubt that is the hardest step that they have ever taken to come back into the house of God after they've lived this life of sin and maybe done horrible things and maybe, you know, just said horrible things, done horrible things, sinned the worst sin they could possibly do, all while knowing what's right, right? All while knowing the Bible, knowing what the Father's house had, all of the blessings and all of the goods, the life that they had lived, that good life, knowing that when they walk through those doors again, it's such a beautiful thing. But again, it's probably the hardest step that they've ever taken. And so lastly is restored. 
he was lost and is found. It was a breach of an elderly Jewish man's dignity to run. But the scripture said that the father ran. He had been waiting a long time for this reunion. He saw him when he was a great way off, it says, and met him there. It was very possible that the elders of the city would have wanted to stone this rebellion son. And in Deuteronomy 21, we read that when they would bring a rebellious and stubborn child to them, that was a very real possibility. Um, but they, they couldn't do that because he was wrapped in his father's arms. The servants did not wear rings or shoes or expensive garments, but the prodigal son received them all. If he had been dealt with according to the law, there would have been a funeral. But because he was dealt with according to the Father's love, there was a feast. Psalms 103, 8, verse 13, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. How beautiful it is, hallelujah, that no matter what transgressions we have, hallelujah, that we are welcomed with open arms, hallelujah, and that God casts them as far as the east is from the west. And so we we see this happy ending, this miracle, but we know that there's one more character in the story. And that was his brother. But let's remember why Jesus told this parable in the first place. Luke 15 and 2, it says, And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. The older brother needed to repent of his attitude and return to the father's house just as much as the younger brother did. He had nothing to lose by his brother's return but he had grown too protective of the father's house. He did the father's will, but didn't have the father's heart. And so I want to just talk for just a moment about that older brother, because in here, most of us can probably relate a little bit more to that prodigal son. But Mark 2 and 17 says, When Jesus heard this, he told them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call sinners, not those who think they are already good enough. One prodigal left the house and wasted his inheritance, and the other prodigal stayed in the house and wasted his inheritance. And so what I want us to do tonight is, first of all, When we see people come into the house of the Lord to have the Father's heart, you know, when they don't look like us, when they don't dress like us, when they don't talk like us, when it's somebody who has 
been with the pigs, right? That we have the Father's heart, that we are not so worried about maybe appearances or, or maybe about what, how they smell or whatever the case may be. Hallelujah. But that we have the Father's heart because the Father is here welcoming them with open arms. It doesn't matter to God what they did. What matters is that they're here. And God forbid that we're here this whole time and we miss out on the inheritance that God has for us because we're so busy doing the work and the will of the Father that we forget to have the Father's heart. God loves his children, all of his children, and so should we. The older brother, he looked and he said, I'm not going in that house. I am not setting foot in that house as long as my brother is in there. He said, I'm not the one. I'm the one who stayed here, you know. I'm the one who worked here, and I'm working on the farm, and, and I was here when my father was crying about my younger brother leaving. I was here taking care of the house. I was here seeing the consequences of my brother's actions, or I was here seeing all of that. And now he comes back, and he's hungry because he ran out of money, and he ran out of friends. And he's saying, you know, that older brother is going through all of these things, saying all of these things. But there was one thing that that older brother didn't understand. He had no idea what goes on in the heart of a father when he thinks his child is dead. But he comes home alive. And that's what our heart needs to be when someone comes into the church, whether it's a a backslider we know or whether it's someone we've never met or whether it's somebody who's never been to church a day in their life, we've got to have that father's heart that says, you know, I I thought my child was dead, but he's alive. And sometimes it's easy to think about the time that it's going to take to teach Bible studies or the money that it's going to take to take them out of dinner. I have been guilty. (laughs) You can ask my husband. But we've got to have the Father's heart that just says, you're home. You're home. And Romans 8 and 15, it says, so you should not be like cowering, fearful slaves. You should be instead like God's very own children, adopted into his family, calling him Father or Abba Father. We've all been adopted into the family of Christ. And one prodigal was rebellious, and the other one was religious. But what the father wanted them, both of them, what the father wanted from both of them was relationship. And so if we could stand tonight, I just wanted to encourage us, no matter where you are in your walk with God, that our relationship with him should never be put on the back burner. So whether we've been in church our whole lives, or whether you're just getting started, 
it's so important that we have a relationship with him because without that, we can't know the Father's heart, right? If we're going to have that love for souls, if we're going to have that love for the children of God, then we've got to have a relationship with the Father. Hallelujah. And so I just want to invite you to this altar tonight. And if we could just say, God, I just want to get back to the basics. I just want to make sure that my relationship with you is coming first. If I've got to set aside media for a little bit, if I've got to set aside this or that or whatever the case may be, God, help me to make sure that my relationship with you is coming first because I want a burden for souls. I want to have God's heart for people. Hallelujah. So let's go ahead and pray tonight. Lord Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord Jesus. Help us to catch pastor's vision, Lord Jesus, to reach this city. Lord Jesus, help us, God, to have a burden, a desire, Lord Jesus, that God, no matter who, walks through that door, God, that we have a love, that we have your heart, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, God. Oh, Jesus. God, help us to put you in our relationship as a priority in our life, Lord Jesus. Oh, that we're not like the rebellious son, Lord Jesus, or even the religious son, but that, God, we have a relationship with you. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. I give Somebody say it with everything in you. I give myself away. I give myself away. A generation of surrender singing. I give myself away. That is positioned for God to do something incredible through this generation. I give myself away. A generation completely unafraid to lift up their voice and say, I give myself away. God, we're not afraid. We have no fear. We say it. I give myself away. Say it for the generation of the earth who are longing and looking for you. Come on, say it. I give myself away. You're saying, God, here I am. I withhold nothing. I give you my everything. I give myself. So you, I love not my life even unto death. I say, I give myself You might not even know what that completely means, but God's looking for a generation. I give myself who will say it unashamed. 
Come on, lift up your voice just one more time and say it. I give before you ask us the question, God. Yeah, this is the word of agreement between heaven and earth. Oh, yes. Lord, yes. Come on, all over this room from your heart. We say yes. Say, we say yes. Oh, God, we say yes. 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 Come on, there's a surrender happening in this room. We say yes. submit to you, yes. We belong to you, yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Say we say yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We
Lord, hear the cries of our generation. Hear the cry of our generation. Our word of obedience is yes. Our word of worship is yes. for a generation of complete surrender. A generation that will say, I give myself away. I give myself away. So you can use me. I give Come on, somebody say it with everything in you. I give myself away. I give myself away. A generation of surrender singing. I give myself is positioned for God to do something incredible through this generation. I give myself a generation completely unafraid to lift up their voice and say, I give We're not afraid. We have no fear. We sing it. I give myself away. Continue to, to pray if you'd like, but thank you all so very much for coming. And with all of that being said, invite somebody to Friends Day. <laughs> Talk to somebody about God, about coming. Let's see soul saved. Amen. Amen. All right. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Say it for the generation of the earth who are longing and looking for you. Come on, say it. I give my you're saying, God, here I am. I withhold nothing. I give you my everything. I give myself away. So you. I love not my life even unto death. I say, I give myself away. 
You might not even know what that completely means, but God's looking for a generation. I give my who will say it unashamed. Come on, lift up your voices one more time and say it. I give. before you ask us the question, God. Yes. This is the word of agreement between heaven and earth. Oh, yes. Lord, yes. Come on, all over this room from your heart, we say yes. Say, we say yes. 